this point in our study of Revelation, we've come to the midway period of the Great Tribulation. We've seen judgment and mercy fall upon the earth as the seven seals have been opened and six of the seven trumpets have sounded. Despite the judgments and wrath of God, we continue to see the incredible patience and long-suffering of our Lord. He continues to make salvation available to those left behind following the rapture of his church. And now, as the seventh trumpet is sounded, it is the initiation of the seven bold judgments, which represent the final outpouring of God's wrath on man's rebellion. As we're told in chapter 10, God's mysterious plan is about to be revealed at the sound of the seventh trumpet. It's imperative that we not get lost in the chronology of the events as they occur on earth. Chapter 11 began with a focus on Israel's return of temple worship during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. The rebuilt temple is made possible by the Antichrist as he initially leads with peace. As the chapter ends, we move from the happenings on earth to a view of another temple, God's temple in heaven. We see both the temple and the Ark of the Covenant. There's lightning and thunder and earthquakes and hail, as if to draw attention to these objects as a reminder of his initial covenant with God's chosen people, Israel. This scene paves the way for chapter 12 and a heavenly panoramic view of all history. But before we get to that, we must examine what takes place in heaven as the seventh trumpet is sounded. In chapter 11, verse 15, we read of loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Even as there was silence in heaven when the Lord prepared to pour out his initial judgments on earth, now there's shouting in heaven, loud rejoicing. Why? Because God's finally going to wrest the world out of the grip of Satan and establish his righteous reign forever and ever. That is his mysterious plan. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 17, the elders shout, We give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. This is the moment all of heaven's been looking for. The 24 elders fall down on their faces before God, in effect saying, Thank you, God Almighty. You're finally going to give Satan his just desserts. Make no mistake, Christ has always reigned in the sense that he's always been the king of kings. But he's also allowed Satan to be the adversary of mankind, giving him a long leash to prowl this earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus identified Satan's mission this way, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But at this moment on earth, his reign of terror is nearing its end, and Christ's eternal reign is about to begin. The battle of good versus evil is winding down. This moment in time is the outcome of what Jesus guaranteed by going to the cross and rising from the dead. And though it appeared on that first Good Friday, as Jesus hung on the cross and as he died and as he was buried in that grave, it appeared that Satan had triumphed and evil had prevailed. But as one preacher famously said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Satan's doom was forecast and sealed when Jesus rose on that first Easter morning. And God is now saying to Satan, your time is up. 
I can only think of all the great storylines of history written in books or in movies. When the good guy, having faced all manner of opposition, having been beaten mercilessly, finally gets off the mat to thwart his evil opponent. It's Rocky getting off the canvas to deck Apollo Creed. It's Doc Holliday outgunning Johnny Ringo. It's Captain America and Iron Man and all the Avengers finally destroying Thanos. It's the minions outwitting Felonius Gru. How joyous it is when the good guys win in the end. And here, the good, good father is about to prevail. What's the response of those on earth as God prepares to bring the hammer down? Well, verse 18 says, the nations are filled with wrath. Why? After all the chances he's given them to bow the knee in repentance, still they refuse to accept his authority over them, even knowing him to be the true, only true God. We're told in verse 18, it's time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name from the least to the greatest. Who are these? These are the faithful Old Testament believers. God has not forgotten them and they will be rewarded for holding fast to a hope of the Messiah, even though they never saw him in their lifetimes. They too, along with the martyred saints, will be rewarded as the tribulation comes to a close. We must remember the context. These final seven years are the time that God finishes his plans and purposes for his chosen people, Israel. So chapter 12 opens with the statement that John witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. We're then introduced to four characters. These characters provide a summary of God's plan of redemption, a panoramic view of history, you might say. It includes a woman about to give birth, a dragon, a child, and Michael the archangel. We begin in verse 1 with a woman. She is clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Who is this woman? Well, she represents Israel, God's chosen people. A crown of 12 stars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. She's clothed with the sun and with the moon beneath her feet. Even as God's chosen people were to be the light bearers, bringing God's word to the world. Not only would Israel be the bearers of God's word, but the light of the world, Jesus himself, will come from the Jewish people. Next, we're introduced to a large red dragon. Of this dragon, we're told, his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. This description can only be that of Satan himself, who fell from heaven, taking other angelic beings with him. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. As he fell from grace and God's favor, he took angelic beings with him, and they now constitute an army of demons for his beck and call. Furthermore, we're told that this dragon attempts to devour the child the woman is about to deliver. Well, who is this child? It could be none other than Jesus, the promised Messiah. Remember what happened at the birth of Jesus? King Herod, the wicked operative of Satan, attempted to have him killed. He sent wise men to the newborn king, not with the intent to worship the child, but to kill him. When the wise men failed to reveal the whereabouts of the child to Herod, wicked Herod ordered all the firstborn children of the region to be slaughtered. It was Satan's first attempt to thwart God's plan of redemption by sending his only son to come to this earth, 
live a sinless life, and then sacrifice that life for the sins of mankind. In verse 5, we read, She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. You know, it's interesting to note that it was Joseph, the husband of Mary and earthly father of Jesus, whom God used to protect Jesus, the Christ child. Warned in a dream of Herod's deadly scheme, Joseph moved Jesus and the family to Egypt and safety. And then, when Herod was dead, Joseph brought the family back to Judah. But with Herod's son on the throne, he heeded a second warning and moved the family out to Galilee and a little town called Nazareth. With each of these moves, he was fulfilling Bible prophecy as to where the Messiah would come from. Joseph often gets lost in the story of Jesus' birth and childhood, but he is an unsung hero for thwarting Satan's attempts to kill Jesus. In verses 7 and 8, we learn of another significant event. Michael the archangel goes to war with Satan in heaven and throws him and his angels down to earth. Satan's access to heaven is now forever denied, and now he is on earth focused on destroying God's chosen people, the Jews. Verse 13 says, When the dragon realized that he'd been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But once again, God protects Israel and his chosen ones during the tribulation time. And verse 15 tells us, Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the dragon. In the same way, God opened the earth and swallowed the enemies of Israel at the rebellion of Korah in the book of Numbers. He will supernaturally open the earth to swallow the flood intended to harm his people. All of this was prophesied by Daniel in a message given to him by the angel Gabriel. It gives further insight to what is happening at the midpoint of the tribulation. But it can be difficult to tie the events of Daniel and Revelation together as Daniel's prophecy covers some 2,500 years of history in just four verses. So perhaps I can best illustrate it with a short story of another nation, ours. We could say, Ships sailed across an unknown sea and found a beautiful world. After six generations, settlers formed a new government and rebelled against their former land in a great revolution. Five generations passed and the nation grew and was nearly torn asunder in a great civil war. But it survived, won two world wars, and after 12 generations became the strongest nation in the world. So there, in four sentences, I covered 600 years of our nation's history. Well, Daniel does the same thing in four verses, covering 2,500 years of Israel's history. Daniel speaks of 500 years that deal with the nation Israel specific, while the other 2,000 years are unseen by him. They are a parenthesis in time while Christ establishes his church. We call this the church age. In chapter 9, starting in verse 24, this is the message Gabriel gives to Daniel. A period of 70 sets of seven have been decreed on your people. Next verse says, Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, that's Jesus, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one, 
will be killed. That's Jesus appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler, who is Titus, will arise and whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. That all happened in 70 AD. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all of his horrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. So what does all of this mean? These 70 sets of seven can be interpreted either as weeks or as years. But if we use the calendar of John's day, consisting of a 360-day-a-year calendar, it fits perfectly with the historical record, allowing us to decode what Gabriel's message to Daniel means. History records only one decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and that came from Artaxerxes on March 14, 445 B.C., as recorded in Nehemiah 2.1. The rebuild was completed in 396 B.C., which is recorded in Ezra, chapters 9 and 10. Exactly 49 years, or seven periods of seven span, that we talked about in Daniel. From March 14, 445 B.C., plus seven periods of seven, the 49 years, plus 62 more periods of seven, brings us to April 6, 32 A.D. That's the very day Messiah the Prince, Jesus, rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Amazing. It's five days later, Jesus was crucified, and now the 2,000-plus year uh, church age uh, years begin, waiting for the final seven-year period of tribulation. And as the tribulation period begins, the Antichrist helps restore the temple and the sacrificial system. He does this for the first three and a half years until he desecrates the temple, making himself as God. Now that is where we find ourselves in the book of Revelation with the help of Daniel's prophecy. The Antichrist, having helped the Jews rebuild the temple, now prepares to turn on them with hatred with his final attempt at destroying God's chosen people and disrupting God's mysterious plan. Father, we thank you for unveiling this mysterious plan to us through this book of Revelation, where it gives us hope knowing your heart is always fixed towards drawing men and women and boys and girls into repentance and relationship with you.